Amen. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, if you are just joining us, we have uh, kicked off uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're John, <laughs> where am I? <laughs> the Gospel of John. Um, now, a while ago, let's see, maybe about a year ago, uh, we, we, we talked about there's some crazy conspiracy theories out there, one such as crazy as uh, that the, the, the earth is flat. You guys know this one? There are, there are people called flat earthers, and we've talked about that, of how kind of wild that is, that some people would believe that. Um, but something came across um, my desk, uh, my computer, uh, to this week that made me think, maybe this one's even crazier. Um, so... <laughs> There is a number of growing number of people that believe that Australia just doesn't exist. (laughs) Have you heard about this? (laughs) Ohio University has done a study about the number of people who genuinely believe that Australia doesn't exist. (laughs) That that when when the British settled there. They didn't really settle there and put people there. They actually exterminated all the people there. And so any, any thoughts of Australia being real is, has all been fabricated. And anyone you've met or watched on TV as an Australian, you would then say these are all actors playing the part and are actually just have a really cool accent. And so they, they said, they're from Australia, right? <laughs> Disinformation for hire is quietly a booming industry. People will hire firms to intentionally spread falsehoods like Australia doesn't exist, despite what satellites might tell you, (laughs) right? That these things don't exist just so that these firms, these, these groups can then have deniability that we didn't have anything to do with that. And so whenever these firms get caught, they stay silent. No, they, they didn't pay us to do that. To allow for more business in the future so that you can hire more people to do this. And so th- these firms are doing things, you know, meddling with elections and, and things, things about vaccinations and things about global warming, right? There, there are all of these things that, that we spread these falsehoods and we wonder, where did that start? And it really doesn't matter when, if the truth comes out because once the truth is out, it's actually not as exciting as the, as the lie that was out there before. And so no matter what, what they end up doing, even if the truth comes out, succeeds because the truth is too late. And by the time the truth comes and you've already shared on Facebook that Australia doesn't exist 10 times, people then go, well, Australia does exist and no one shares that. (laughs) And so the truth now gets watered down to the point where we start asking, what is real? Like, have you asked that question this past year? (laughs) What is even real? Like, what does it, is, is there truth? Or is just everyone just fabricating things? I mean, you could ask this about the church. Is the church real? Like, do they actually believe what they're peddling? Is the Bible real? Or is this just one big disinformation for hire? I mean, these are hard questions that we are now, as a society, as a culture, asking. 
Because for some, for very good reasons, like what is real? Is anything true? And if that's where you're at, if you're at a point where you're saying, I'm just desperate for truth, let me invite you to John 1 this morning. Now, for some of you, you're like, haven't we already been in John 1? Yes, we've been in John 1 for, this will be our third week in a row. I'm sorry. (laughs) The Gospel of John, it's going to take a while to walk through. (laughs) Jesus will come back before we finish, and it'll be great, right? But whether you're a skeptic and wondering, I just need truth, or whether you're a believer in saying, I just don't know what the next step is. I want to follow Christ. I want to be a disciple. What is that? John 1 is for you. And what the message that is said over and over and over throughout this passage and a couple chapters from now on is come and see. And so for wherever you're at, I invite you to come and see what Jesus has to say. And so that's, that's the title of the sermon, come and see, and the, 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 the pathway that we're going to do it. We're going to have four points this week. I know. We'll see if we can get it in time. But it's going to be come and look, come and follow, come together and come and wonder. So come and look, follow, together, wonder. But let's, let's come and look. Let's, let's, ex- let's come and, and examine the text. Let's, let's come at it and ask it the hard questions. In verses uh, 35 through 36, it says, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and the two disciples are, are Andrew and what's believed to be John, the author of this book here. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist is standing there with Andrew and John, this author here. And John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. And now if you were here last week, you thought, may have thought, didn't John say that last time? Yes, he did. John has, John has the same message that he says a lot. He, he's like... He's like the, the kid who knows one note on the guitar. <laughs> like, I can play the G chord, and I'm just going to play the heck out of it. That's what John is as a pastor, as a preacher. He is playing that one note, and he's going to play the heck out of it. And it's, behold the Lamb of God. And that's what we as a church want to, to embody as well. That, that one note that we want to have played every single week is to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That, that, that is a message that will change us. That's what we're coming to, to, to come and look at and to examine. So come and examine that. Examine it, like deconstruct it. Ask the tough questions of this. And that's what happens here. The disciples get asked tough questions. And instead of saying, how dare you? Who do you think you are? The questions we talked about last week, right? They don't do that. They say, let's come and see. Let's look at this. If truth is real, if there is an absolute truth, then let's come and let's find what that truth is. And I think many of us, we are scared to ask some of the hard questions. Some of us, I think we're like, we've been in the Christian walk for a while, and so we think, I should be at a level 10 as a Christian. Like, I should be a sensei. I should, <laughs> I should have a black belt in Christianity. But I'm starting to ask some of these beginner questions now. Like, is the Bible really written by God? And you're like, I can't ask that. And so we're out of fear of being ostracized by our group. We're, we're scared to ask the hard questions. Does anyone relate to that? I think a lot of us do. We're like, if God is all good and powerful and loving, then why does evil exist? 
We're scared to ask some of those hard questions. We're scared to ask, did God really create everything out of nothing? Paul says some crazy stuff later. Like, do I, what do I think about all of that? Like, I think when we're, when we're scared about being ostracized from the group, but what, we happen, what happens usually is when we ask those hard questions, we start realizing others are asking the hard questions too. And I bet we can find the truth and we can come together and do it. And so let's not be scared to ask those hard questions of our text here. And we, don't want, we want that to be true of our church here. Let's come to the Bible and ask it the hard questions and we will come with the truth here. So let's come and see here. But there's some, there's some hilarious moments in this passage. There's three really funny moments, I think, that happen in this passage. Uh, the first one comes in verse 45 and 46. Uh, 45 says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And then he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? <laughs> can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so two things are happening here, right? He's, he, Nathaniel's asking, like, isn't, isn't the Messiah from Bethlehem? Well, yeah. And he's from Nazareth. Yeah. And? <laughs> Should we reconcile those two things? And he's like... Instead of saying, how dare you question that, as some of us might want to say, he says, let's come and see. That's a really good question. Let's go ask that of, of, our, of our leader here, right? That, that is a beautiful way of coming about that. But then he also says, can anything good come from Nazareth, which Nazareth is like Banjo's country, right? Nazareth is, is where, uh, you know, it's, it's that podunk town on your way to the big city, right? You drive through it and you go, how does this place even exist? <laughs> what economy is keeping things going here? Like, this is what's happening. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And, and Philip says, come and see. And that's it. Let's investigate the test, let, text. Let's ask hard questions. Let's be curious. Now, some of us might say, well, that's great for them. But here in modern times, we can't ask Jesus these questions. Like, that'd be great to ask him. But the Gospel of John was written much later. And so the, the hearers that, who this book was directly written to would have been saying the same thing. Well, how can we come and see? How can we go and know? Some of these people have gone. But what John does and what all of the gospel writers do, they put so much details in the text that one, for the hearers in that day, they could go, they could go to Nazareth and ask some people they could go and, and ask, okay, let's go to Bethsaida. That's where Andrew's from. Let's ask some people there. So there's so much details in the text that they could do that. And so he's saying, come and see, investigate, ask the hard questions. But again, for us as modern hearers, we can't do that. So how do we know this is true? How do we know this isn't just disinformation? And I would say, again, the amount of details that are in these passages emphasize the truth of what's happening here. If someone was to make a myth, they would have been very vague. Right? They wouldn't put the details, they wouldn't put the city, where they put, wouldn't put the names, the people that you can go ask. But then two, what, how do you come and see, how can you actually investigate and know that this is real? Andrew, who is one of the first disciples here of Jesus, Andrew goes, yes, he, he goes, first thing he does, he goes and tells Peter, but then he goes on this giant missionary journey. He's, he's all over the place. He's like in Russia, they're St. Andrews, people love Andrew. But wait, is, how does Andrew end his life, he ends it being crucified like Jesus. Andrew is crucified just like Jesus, but he's crucified on an X-shaped cross. 
What about John, who we believe is the one that's right here with him? How does the author of the book, how does he fare? Well, he gets, gets stranded on the island of Patmos, right? So we know that's about him. But the church history also says there, there is the belief that John, when he died, when John went to his death, he was boiled alive. But not just boiled, he was boiled in, in, in oil. So John was deep fried for his faith. And as much as we want to doubt someone's, if they're telling us the truth, if they're willing to get crucified or deep fried for their faith, we have to start saying they at least believed it. Because if they knew it was a lie, they would have given that up a lot sooner, right? So either they're, they're, they're the Lord liar or lunatic. They're not a liar, clearly, right? That he's probably the Lord or these people are crazy, right? And so I think that's when we ask these hard questions of the text, right? It's hard to die. It's hard to believe that someone died for a lie. And so let's come and see and ask hard questions. But not just ask hard questions. Come and see um, means examine it, but it also means come and follow. I think for many of us, when we think of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, we think that means I, I get to be a part of the Jesus fan club, right? We want to, I've got the t-shirts. I've got the stickers. I've got the bumper sticker. I've got my, I've paid my dues. Like to be a part of the Jesus fan club means like, I'm in. I'm, I've done it. I'm, I'm excited about that, right? And I think a lot of times when we think about, about what, we, what does it mean to believe in Jesus, we think that means let's affirm historical facts. So like what we just did right there, we affirmed historical facts, and we think that's what it means to believe in Jesus. But is that it? Is being a disciple of Jesus just saying, that sounds like that's true, that sounds like what Jesus did? I think many times we think believing in Jesus is like I would say, let's believe in Nelson Mandela. Like, he's a good guy, he did some good things, and we think that's the same thing it means to believe in Jesus. He's a good guy, he did some good things, I affirm it, and it requires nothing of me to believe in Nelson Mandela. Is that all it means to be a follower of Jesus? Absolutely not. That is not what's happening here. I think this is what I'm worried that we, we, we believe secretly and we're going to teach our kids this is all it means to believe Jesus is just to affirm facts, to, to get the catechisms, to get it right, but to never really change us. It's not just affirming facts. In verse 37, in verse 37, the dis- two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. They saw who Jesus was, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they're like, if that's the Lamb of God, I've got to follow him. I've, I've got to make some changes in my life. I'm going to put the nets down, as we talked about earlier, and I'm going to follow. Something has got to change if I'm actually going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Now, when we say that word disciple, I think that's a word that we don't really use that much. It comes from the word discipline, um, you know, it's where you train your minds and your body with self-control so that what you want now, uh, you hold off for the pleasure of something in the future, um, right? And so a, a disciple, it, at its very base, is a follower, right? A, a disciple, at, at the very base level, is a follower and not a leader. It's a, it's a young Padawan, right? It's, it's saying, you teach me and I think in our modern day, we don't really have that relationship. We don't say, will you be my discipler? Uh, sometimes in church, people do that, but not as much in society, right? This is not a common thing. 
I think the closest thing that we have to a disciple and a discipler uh, relationship that we have in our modern day is uh, an athlete with their coach. So you think of high school athletes who, who have dreams of, of going on to the next level and they're, they're, they want to pick a university with a coach who will drive them. Yeah, there's many other reasons that athletes pick the university. Now with the NIL and everything else, it's probably even more, right? But when they want to go to the university, they want to know, is this coach going to push me? Are they going to stretch my mind and my body? Are they going to make me better? If I want to get to the next level, if I want to get to the level after that, I want to pick this coach so that they will stretch me. That's a disciple saying, I want you to discipline me even when it hurts. If you tell me that we have to get up at five in the morning to go running, I'll be willing to do that. Maybe not every athlete, right? (laughs) But as a disciple, we're trying to say, Jesus, wherever you go, I will follow. And that's what the disciples were doing. They're saying, Jesus, I will follow you. Where are we going? Are we like that? Is that how we think of discipleship? Wherever you go, Jesus, I will follow. I don't know if that's the way we think about that. But I think what a lot of times we think of when we think of discipleship, we just think of or being a believer is just following him is just believing those facts. And I would say your lack of following him reveals your lack of belief. Your lack of following him reveals your lack of belief because we are called to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples, right? This is, this, is, this is kind of how Christianity works. Am I following Christ? I drop everything and I follow, right? And so for many of us, that just is just taking the next step. Because wherever you're at, here's the weird thing with discipleship. You guys come from very different places and you're coming at a very different spectrum. What is the next step for you? That's discipleship, is asking what is the next step? So for some of us, the next step might be, I don't have a Bible, I should get a Bible. So your next step is, we have some free Bibles at the back table there. Take it. It's yours. We want you to have that. Some of you are like, well, I have a Bible, but where is that thing? (laughs) I think it's under my bed. Uh, Right? So maybe it's just finding your Bible. Um, What is the next step for you? Maybe you would say, I haven't talked to God by myself in months. Maybe the next step for you is just saying, I'm just going to commit 60 seconds a day. We'll just start there. 60 seconds a day just to, just to talk to God. What is that next step for everyone? We have one, a different where wherever we're at. Maybe it's for you, it's, it's making reparations to, and reconciling with someone. It's saying, I'm going to repair this relationship. What is that next step for you? Right? There, there are so many different ways this could look. And some of us are worried, yeah, but what happens if I go down that path? What happens if I do become a disciple of Jesus? If I do actually say, I'll I'll follow you, I'll give myself away. We're a little scared of what might happen. And Jesus is saying, let me just tell you up front what's going to happen. In John 16, 33, so a couple chapters later in this book, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) This is not a good sales technique. (laughs) In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. The world is going to fight and push against you. But then he goes on, he says, right after that, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Oh, isn't that beautiful? In this world, you have trouble, but I've overcome that. And so it it will be hard, but I'll be there with you through it. And then later uh, in Luke 9, 
Luke 9, 23, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What is taking up the cross? It's not the Christian necklace. It's taking up the cross. It's, it's following in self-sacrificial giving and life. It's watching what Jesus did and say, I'm going to emulate that. Take up the cross means I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to sacrifice for others. And you're like, oh, is that all? Is that all it means to be a disciple? No, that's not all. It's, it's even more than that. It's loving those who persecute you. It's showing kindness and mercy to people who don't show you either. It's showing empathy to those who won't even be em- empathetic towards you. It is, is acting with mercy and justice and being self-sacrificial and putting the needs of others before our own. It is saying, I'm going to be devoted in prayer. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he leads me to go. It's a high calling to be a disciple here. But all, it, all we need to know is what is the next step? What is the next step? And so before you can be a leader, you need to be a follower. To say, where, where are we going, Jesus? I'll take the next step. And so some of us who are still skeptical of the faith, they still have our questions, I would even encourage you, take the next step. Because even if you jump in and start following Jesus on that path, you start answering those questions. I think many times we want to think, I'll just examine everything, the evidence, and once I'm fully convinced, then I'll jump in. It usually doesn't work that way. Many of the Christians here in this room still have the questions. And if we had to wait until we had all of the evidence understood, we wouldn't have jumped in ourselves. We still have our questions, right? And so we want to jump in, and as we jump in, those questions get to begin to be answered. So we want to come and look, we want to come and follow, but we also want to come and see means come together. I think what this passage real, reveals is we are just so relationally interconnected, it's, it's just wild and crazy, right? Uh, verse 41, he, this is talking about Andrew. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. So Andrew, gets, Andrew meets Jesus, follows him, and the first thing he does is like, I got to tell my brother. I got to tell my brother Simon. He's got to know about this. And so John tells Andrew, Andrew tells Simon, and so it goes on. And here's the second hilarious thing that happens in this passage. Uh, in verse 42, so right after this, uh, and he brought Simon to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Just imagine how that would have happened. Like, hey, you got to meet Jesus. And Jesus comes, he's like, you're Simon. Uh, we're going to call you Cephas. <laughs> okay, no, no, you, you misheard. No, 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 no. The name is Simon, not Cephas. <laughs> you, you, you misheard Jesus, the creator of the world. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, 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 I got that. No, it's going to be Cephas, which is Peter. <laughs> you got to imagine Simon or Peter is just like, do, do I get a say in this? <laughs> nope. He's like, okay, cool, 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 cool. All right, that, that's, that's cool. I, mean, I, can, I can relate on a smaller level here, but my first day of sixth grade, I go there. My real name's Ryan, uh, and an eighth grade bully comes up, and he's like, man, you're fat. And I was like, okay, yes, sir. I hate my life. <laughs> he's like, we're going to call you slim. I was like, do I get a say in this? <laughs> nope. Cool. All right. And that's where we are here today, right? <laughs> this is how it happens. <laughs> Right? So first, Andrew finds his brother, and then it just snowballs from there. It's a long line of this is the effective way of spreading the gospel. It is through personal relationships. 
How many of you are here because of a great Facebook ad? How many of you are here because someone had a a, a wonderful Christian movie that just moved you to tears and that's what brought you to Jesus? It's usually not how it works. (laughs) It's not because of marketing or anything like that. That never works because we're so distrusting. We don't trust any of that. We don't trust any of those things. The only people that we would trust is if a friend told us. And I would imagine if anyone is here, I would say nine out of 10 of you are here because of a friend or a family member brought you. Because we're so distrusting of the church and of everything, we want to know, is it crazy? And you had one friend who said it's not. It's not crazy. I mean, this works, away, this works our way across industries too, right? You're like, do I want to try that restaurant? I don't know. But a friend tells you it's amazing. You go, Right? Do I want to really want to watch this movie? You got to watch this, you know, six seasons of Netflix. <laughs> Commit your life to this. <laughs> okay, only if someone says it's good, right? Like, it's typically how it works. We are just so interrelationally connected. And you can think about your own self and your own relationship with Jesus. I'm guessing nine out of ten of you came to faith because through a family member or through a friend or some re- deep relationship, someone brought you to Jesus. Yes? Some of us, the Lord reached us separately. He came special for us. <laughs> he came, like, came to Philip. He was the only person who Jesus said, come follow me, was to Philip. Everyone else is through a relationship. And you can think about your own self and your own walk. Who is that person for you? Who is that for you? Who is the person who brought you? And there's probably a family member who brought you to faith. But also, who is the person who maybe mentored and discipled you? And it, it, I, I think a lot of times we think of what, what does it mean to be a disciple, to be a Christian? We think it, it's doing what I'm doing. It's preaching to you. You're like, I don't ever want to do that, <laughs> right? But that's not all what it is. That's not what it is most of the time. Most of the time it's saying, hey, you want to come over for dinner? That is come and see ministry. I mean, think about it. The people that you, I mean, the person, so you write down who, who, who brought you to faith or who told you about Jesus. Now write down the person who, who meant the most to you spiritually, who is that? And I'm guessing it wasn't just the pastor. It was probably the person who invited you into their home. I can think about this in college. It was the person who invited me into their home and we had, we had regular meals with them. And as a college student, they let us use their washing machine. And it was like, oh. <laughs> and so as like a family member, you're like, that's it? <laughs> but it means so much. You've been brought into it. It's come and see ministry. So many of us, that that is part of our story as well. And that's what Andrew is doing. Andrew's like, this queso is so good. (laughs) I've got to have it, right? That's how it works. Have you ever heard the phrase, you know, when we talk about like telling someone about Jesus and we're so scared of what that means and we're saying, we are one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's it. We don't have to tell them everything. We just say like, no, this is really good bread. (laughs) This guy is giving it out for free. Come get it. And so that's how it works. That's almost how it always works. You guys ever heard the, the phrase six, de- six degrees of separation? Yeah. I think six degrees of separation is uh, c- pretty common. And so what it's saying is that there are six degrees between every single person here on earth. Only six degrees, meaning if I know six different people, or I know one person, and then they know another person, they know another person, it could reach the whole world right? So six degrees of separation. Some of you guys know people who probably know everyone in the world. Uh, they're, they're, they're the outliers, right? 
But if that's to reach the whole world, if that's to know the whole world, six degrees, how many do you think it would take to know the, all of Waco? Three? Four? I mean, in Waco, it's probably like one or two. <laughs> you know one person, they know everyone, right? Like, you probably could do it through two people. You can be Waco famous really quick, right? This is, this is our, our beautiful small city. Um, but what that means is, represented in this room, since there are more than three or four people in this room, we could reach the whole city of Waco by sharing the good news of the gospel. Do you realize that? And it's not you reaching every single person and blasting it across, right? It's you telling one person who then tells another, right? Like, this is how it happens. This is how movements happen. This is what we are so interconnected that way. It's not what you know, it's what who you know. Let's try that again. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I figured people were going to say that. Okay. (laughs) But that's usually how we get jobs. That's how we recommend things to people. That's just usually how it works. And so I want you to think about this. If you have, if you knew the person who brought you to faith, you wrote them down. If you knew the person who mentored you, you wrote their name down. Now I want you to write down three names of people, or just think if you don't have a pen, write down three names of people, or think of three names of people who don't know Jesus or who maybe do know Jesus, but they've just been so turned off by the church, and they're just so almost allergic to the church right now. And I would just say, let's just follow this pattern of Andrew and just pray for our brothers and sisters. And let's invite him over for a meal. And let's show compassion and kindness and mercy and love and all the things that we want to be true about church. That's what we want the church to be. We want the church to be that for people. We know that's what it can be. And now let's just pray for these people and we'll see it just blossom. It'll explode. That's what people are craving for. And so when you come and see, Christianity is always a come together religion. It's never a come alone. It's not a lone ranger religion. And so as, as, as someone brought you, I encourage you to bring someone, think about that. Now, some of you guys are like, yeah, but I don't know anyone. I'm, I am alone right now. I feel alone even in this room, maybe. And I would say, okay, we have the fast track for you. <laughs> we have small groups. You should definitely get involved in small groups. That is the fast track to relationships, to actually taking the Bible and unpacking it and then praying for one another. That is the fast track for that. Some of you guys say, well, I already have those relationships. I don't need that. I, I, already, I already do read the Bible with, with some friends. And I'm like, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Don't add any more to your week. (laughs) But you can say, I've already had people pouring into me, but I think discipleship is both someone pouring into you, someone two steps in front of you spiritually, but it's also someone two steps behind you spiritually. And I would say you have a lot to offer. And so if someone is pouring into you, who are we pouring into as well? This is discipleship. It's being poured into and pouring out into someone as well. So you have a lot to offer. And so maybe we jump into some of these small groups as a way just to love one another. All right, so come and look, come and follow, come together, and lastly, I want to say, come and wonder. Come and wonder. John 1, 38. When Jesus turned and no one noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? What are you looking for, or what are you seeking? That's a question that I think that the disciples weren't ready for, they're, they're saying, oh, we want to come to your house for dinner. <laughs> what are you seeking? I want some food. I don't think they were ready for that. But Jesus was asking them, what are you seeking? Many people follow me for very different reasons, some good and some bad. What are you actually here for? 
Why are you with me right now? And I would ask that of you here at this church right now. What are you seeking? Why did you come? Why did you come this morning? What are you actually seeking? Is it just, is it just to, to feel good, to be encouraged this morning? Is it, is it to be in community and to see friends? These are all good things, but these things can also fizzle away. The only thing that has lasting and staying power is if we come and we want to wonder at the grace of Jesus. So that same wonder that John the Baptist had a week ago that begins in this passage here, that the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that same wonder is the wonder that we need to come around and to rally around as Christians. And it's not just John. There's also the third hilarious story here in Nathaniel. And there's a wonder in Nathaniel. Did you guys catch this? I love this part of this, this, this narrative. In verse 47 through 49, then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God you are the king of Israel. Do you hear the wonder in Nathaniel? It's like, how did you know that? You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. How did you know that? And Jesus almost laughs in this passage, which, you know, would be disconcerting if that happened to you. Jesus laughed at you. But <laughs> Jesus laughs at him uh, in 50. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Like, that's what did it? <laughs> that's what brought you into faith because I saw where you were? Oh, you're going to see so much better than that. <laughs> I feel like that was all of us at that moment. You're like, oh, yeah, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Jesus says, it's going to be so much better than that. It's going to be so much better than that. And then he answers, what is that going to be? And he says something that sounds so confusing in verse 51. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see a heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Some texts say, truly, truly, which is amen, amen. We say amen at the end of prayers. We're saying, this is true. We believe this. And so Jesus begins this and says, amen, amen, this is true. And then he, starts, then he starts quoting the Old Testament. You'll see the Son of Man, which is in Daniel, it's this vision of, of, of the Messiah riding the clouds. And then he says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending, and that's a picture back in Genesis where you see the stairway to heaven, and there's angels ascending and descending down on the stairs. And so what Jesus is telling them, you're going to see something so much better. You're going to see the true stairway to heaven. I'm not going to be at the top of the stairs and say, climb. He says, I am the stairway to heaven. I am the way, the truth, the life. You can come to heaven. You can come to what you've always wanted for by just coming to me. This is what you should wonder at, not just because I foresaw where you were 15 minutes ago. I know, I know more about you than you even know about yourself, and I know all of your sin, I know all of your potential, but I know all what you've done, and I've died for all of that, and I'm giving you a pathway to be in the presence of the Almighty, the, the Son of God, 
It is a beautiful, beautiful image here. And so come and wonder, and in glorifying and wondering, you will find life. And so are you skeptical this morning? I would invite you to come and see, investigate the text. If you're, if you're wondering, do I come? Do I come alone? I would say absolutely not. Come together. Don't come alone. Come together and come follow him. Actually take that first step, whatever that first step is for you, and then come and wonder. <laughs> wonder at the grace of God that he would die for me, that he would love me. Let's pray.